This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey there, everybody. Jonathan Mayo here along with Jim Callis. Uh, Jason Ratliff is on location. No, he's... Uh, just was called away, so he will not be joining us today. So Jim and I will handle this week's MLB Pipeline podcast. We have plenty to talk about, as always. We're through two weeks of the Arizona Fall League. We'll talk about some of the performances there. Our Sam Dykstra talked with Eric Brown Jr. the Milwaukee Brewers. Jim wrote a very good origin story about the scouting of Evan Carter and how he landed with the Texas Rangers. We'll talk about some of the organization hitters and pitchers of the year which we announced last week and of course as always we'll answer a question from you in the mailbag jim lots going on you know i know you're back from the fall and we'll dig into that but i think even though we are a prospect heavy podcast we can't not be mindful of what's going on in the big league stage in terms of the postseason and i don't think anybody had the texas rangers going 7-0 on their bingo card Undefeated. They're they're going to go what eleven? Uh, what do they have to go thirteen and zero to win it? Uh, yes, thirteen and 0. yes, thirteen and zero. But no, I mean a pretty cool story for the Rangers who got off to a great start, then looked like they might collapse and not make the playoffs, and then they won. They, the interesting thing to me, Jonathan, is let's say the Rangers win the whole thing, and we all know that whenever somebody wins, you know the way they did it was the right way to do it, and everybody's going to emulate them. I think back to the Royals. You know, okay, you know, defense and small ball and build a good bullpen. And then the Cubs won and it was like, okay, you know, the way to draft is always take the best college hitter with your top 10 pick. Although then the Cubs didn't win after that. But like, you know, if the Rangers win, is it going to be like, let's go out and spend $500 million on free agents over a two year period? I like, and they've had some homegrown guys too. But like, like when I watch the Rangers and they continue to win, that's what I wonder. Like, is that going to be the takeaway? Like, hey, you should go out and spend a lot well, on free agency. But the fu- the funny thing the, is, if you think about, I mean, yeah, free agency, but then they also like, they made the big trades, right? <laughs> like Jacob DeGrom. And Max Scherzer are not have not been a part of this, so it's you know. Well, Scherzer's going to be now, like yes. like he's he's he he'll be game three. But yeah, you're you're right. I mean, the the biggest names exactly. And, and Jonathan Gray was another guy they spent a lot of money on who has yet. Yeah, to I mean, I think playoffs, it's interesting. Just so. you know, I always sort of laugh a little bit. And listen, the Astros have had a long string of a lot of success, and I wouldn't count them out yet, uh, just because of the of the experience they've had and they've done a lot of things right. But then you look back at how they built the juggernaut, like they whiffed in the draft a few times. I mean, so it's kind of crazy to think that like people will emulate a way to do things, quote unquote, when even the way they did things didn't really pan out. I think it just shows like there are so many different ways to get to that point and an ability to adjust and make other decisions and other parts of player acquisition are so important. It isn't just one way. Yeah, well, you know the one way to do it. If you want to get the World Series, you know what you need to What's do, that? right? You hire Dave Dombrowski as your GM. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. I mean, it's it's funny. I mean, I I, I think Dave's going to wind up being in the Hall of Fame. I, I don't think that gets talked about enough. But like, if I remember correctly, when he took the Phillies to World Series last year, I don't think any GM has ever taken three teams to the World Series, and he's taken four. And he also laid the groundwork for those great Expos teams that were yep. kind of waylaid by the strike before he went to Miami. But, you know, just a lot of respect for, for Dave Dombrowski, Jonathan, because, you know, and Red Sox fan, I, you know, Red Sox fans probably have a mixed take. Like, oh, we won, but like he left us high and dry. Well, you know, he got fired. But <laughs> yeah, he did what he was brought in well, to listen, do in Boston. He did what he was brought in to do with, I, in well, Listen, you could argue with how he does it. Again, it's a philosophy thing, right? And I think those of us who live in the prospect world at times have kind of been like, has a tendency to leave farm systems barren, but isn't the whole point to win, you know, you know, and yeah, I mean, I think when your window opens at the big league level, it's different. And you think about how bad, how bad the tigers were when he got there and how he turned them around. And it's kind of amazing looking back at those teams that had Verlander and Scherzer and Annabelle Sanchez and Rick Porcello, who won a Cyan Award all on the same staffs and didn't quite win a World Series. But no, I mean, look, we both know Dave and you talk to other people about him and and the reputation he has is, I think think people enjoy trading with Dave because Dave doesn't mess around. He figures out what he wants and he will give you value for it. He doesn't try to nickel and dime you. He's like, this is what we want. This is what we're willing to give up. And I'm not saying he won't negotiate. You know, you talk to people around the game, you know, if, if it isn't going to happen, he just moves on to plan B. And like, so anyway, kudos to him. And then the other thing I wanted to bring up about the Phillies, because I've seen this quote a couple of times, and I apologize for not knowing which writer got the quote from Bryce Harper originally, but you know, Bryce Harper continues to perform and you'll see people will ask Bryce or have asked Bryce about pressure. And Bryce says, like, this is all gravy. Like, like the pressure was when he left high school after mm. his sophomore year to go to JUCO and try to be the number one pick and provide for his family. Because, like, the thing is interesting is if, if, if Bryce failed, if Bryce had gone to JUCO and had been exposed as a fraud, he's done. Like, his career's blown up and he's, what, 16 years old at the time. And, and I, just, I just love somebody resuscitated that quote, I think, the last night or two that, you know, Bryce Harper said that you know, once he got to the big leagues, that's fun. Like the pressure was, you know, like it was basically number one pick or bust. And, you know, we, we've talked about Bryce and, you know, well, I'll ask you this question, Jonathan. Do you think Bryce Harper has fallen short, met or exceeded the hype that came with him? Because the hype, was I, so I think huge. it would almost be impossible for him to exceed the hype. But I think in many ways he's met the hype and he's far from done. Yeah, I mean, he's 30 years old. He's got 300 homers. He's a seven-time yeah, All-Star, right, former right. MVP. And I think we're going to look back at the end, and he's going to have a couple of rings, potentially, right? I think we're going to look back and be like, yep, that's you know all you, all you could have hoped for. But the hype was ridiculous, right? He needed to have like cured cancer in his rookie season to, to live up to the hype. So I don't – that is almost too high of a bar, but he's pretty, pretty close. He's having a very, very good career and better than people I think even are willing to recognize because the hype was so high. You know, this guy doesn't win a triple crown every year. It's a disappointment. Yeah. Like if he has a down season, it's like, oh, you know, Bryce overrated. And then, you know, he comes back I and mean, he's coming back from Tommy John and he came back quick and he's playing, you know, first base. Play, and, and, and by the way, in the post- he's, from all accounts I've seen, he's actually worked and become a pretty good first baseman, which is crazy. No, Exactly. And I was going to say, I'll give you a quick quiz. Uh-oh. What do you think his career postseason ops is? I'm going to say it's 1,100. 
Okay, well, it's 1044, so that's a very Not good bad. guess. He's Thank hit you. 15 homers in 43 postseason yeah. games. Yeah. Um, like, the guy produces. He hit five he last year for Philadelphia All the Way World Series. And uh, I will say this, for a guy who – you know, he'll, he'll take his slings and arrows because he's, you know, you know, he's been so hyped. He might go down as one of the most beloved athletes in Philadelphia history if they pull off a World Series championship. I, I don't disagree. You know, as as hard as Philadelphia fans can be, the people who bring them championships, you're right, are beloved. That is that is the right word. So we'll, we'll And see he wanted happens. to be there. And I think he's got, what was it, a 13-year contract? And yeah. Like, he took... A little bit less money because he basically like I can't well, no one, the no trade. Pre- I, don't, I don't think anyone's gonna be like, oh wow. He no, 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 no. <laughs> what I was gonna say is like he wants to be there. Like, like yes. I think he took less money. I think there's no trade protection in there. I don't know for the whole thing, but basically, he wanted to be somewhere where it's like, look, I'm gonna sign this massive contract, and I'm just gonna play baseball for the next 13 years. Yeah. yeah. Um, there are lots of sort of fun other storylines in here. You know, Rob Thompson and Tori Lavella were minor league teammates together. Yeah. Um, and then. My favorite that sort of crosses over into a lot of what we do is that Dana Brown, now the Astros general manager, signed Chris Young, now the Rangers general manager. Jonathan, I'm so old, and I'm not that much older than you, but you always like to tease me. I'm so old that when I I started my career, I remember Tori Lavola was one of the Tigers' top prospects when I was at Baseball America. And I went, this was later, it wasn't when I started my career, I went to when I I left Baseball America to go to Stats Inc. when we moved to Chicago. And I went back to Baseball America when the technology changed and you could actually work from home. Imagine that. Um, In 2000, I went back to Baseball America. And that that summer, I went to the Cape Cod League for seven or 10 days. I need to get back. But anyway. I say that every year. One of the guys, I know I do too. One of the guys that I featured when I was up there was Chris Young, who was, he'd just been drafted Mm -hmm. by the Pirates and it was, they were going to have to overpay him and would he give up? you know he kind of worked out a unique deal where he could complete his education but i remember seeing i am i want i'm 99.9 percent sure chris young pitched for katuit and john schiffner and i remember seeing him they were actually filming like more b-roll for for the movie summer catch while it was up there too which is a terrible baseball movie um but anyway Um, (laughs) uh, that no that's a great the beautiful thing about you being sure about that story like no one no, and I actually am sure you know because, as we've pointed out for both of us, you're going to remember something from. Oh, I, 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 I said, you know ago. what? I said, did I say Katuit? I meant Chatham. Okay. Chatham was John Schiffner. I, I, I oh my god, him, my, it was, my, it was my, my view yeah. of you has been shattered. No, but in general, your ability to remember things 20 years ago or whatever compared to remembering last Tuesday is like right. mine, terrible, right? It's much better far away so i thought that was like a, a a cool added story to it and yes you're not that much older than i am but you've been doing this for longer so my, my memory of tori lavello was when he was uh like one of the hot up-and-coming minor league managers in cleveland's system and his name was brought up a lot as a potential future big league manager and then like it didn't like it didn't happen and you know how it often goes with these guys. Like sometimes that window closes and you don't get that opportunity. And yeah. so then to see him get this opportunity has been great. I was able to catch up with him actually when I was in uh, Diamondback Spring Training. And we talked about it. You know, I had spent considerable time with him, I think, when he was with Akron. All right. Let's uh, move on to the Arizona Fall League. And, you know, Jim, you spent the, the first week. You're going to be 
back at the tail end. I've got my two weeks coming up. Sam Dykstra is in week two there. You know, we, we provide wall-to-wall coverage. But here I have a quick been... question for you. Yeah. If you were given the opportunity and you were told you could you could stay at the pipeline Airbnb and you could you could cover the fall league for the entire six weeks, would you take it? I mean, are we putting us like living in a vacuum, like and thinking that I don't have well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you, you could you could bring your you could bring your family with you. You got the Airbnb. You could bring your you could bring your wife down. I uh, yeah. I mean, the, she's not the only member of my family. I, but, I know um, she's not. I know she's not. <laughs> but yes, I would. I mean, you I could think bring, you could bring you could bring any number of your family members I, and dogs and, to the to the pipeline yeah. <laughs> Airbnb. I think the answer is yes. How about you? Yes, I think I, I would. I, same thing. In fact, I, yeah. I was just gonna say. In fact, the thought has crossed my mind. You know, as we get older and closer to that point of retiring like i don't know about you like when i retire i don't think i'm gonna like retire retire the idea of going out and finding someone to write for or doing stuff for the entirety of the fall league or like you said before or going out and spending a summer on the cape cover just writing about the cape cod league i like the idea of kind of embedding oneself i get a little jealous you're you gonna know, become as- bernie pleskoff jonathan you're going to become Bernie Plus. I, uh, you know, I get jealous sometimes, you know, of our, of our colleague, Jesse Borak, who lives in Arizona. He sees Cano also like gets this to year. cover, right. Gets to cover the fall league from day one to the very end. I mean, I, I, I that would be awesome. If you embedded yourself in, in the, in the Arizona, you could also cover, uh, I don't know if States plays going to be there every year, but I, you know, you could wind up covering, uh, the draft combine, which uh, yeah, you, you've yet combine, to cover, the dream series that I went yeah. to last year that I'm hoping to do again. So yeah, no, there there's lots of, of things to cover. Very hot though, very hot. Yes, I, I cannot yeah. convince my wife to to buy property. In, in, uh, I I understand I understand that 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 part. It, it seems that each year it gets later and later that the weather that the weather breaks and it gets nicer. When we when I was there for the media days, it was uh, oh it was yeah, I did that last year and I almost melted. Like the it day two on- of day one, the media days, I got sunburned. Day two, I was like, I'm staying in the dugout until it's time to talk to. Yeah, him. yeah, we're we're both pale, you know. So yes. let's be honest. Anyway, <laughs> we, let's we, let's talk about some of the players. Well, that's what I was gonna say, John. I know you haven't been there yet, but to kind of whet your appetite, you 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 spoke with a scout. You're working on the pipeline newsletter this week, and you were kind of getting some uh, takes on a variety of, of fall league players. Uh, I think I saw five of the six. I did not see Ricky Tiedemann, but like in terms of hitters, when you were talking to, to, to your, your scout friend uh, in preparation newsletter, who, who are some of the hitters who stood out for him? Yeah. And it was good. Cause you know, one of the things, uh, th- this is someone who does both professional and amateur scouting and which are wildly different like, like yeah. as, as we both know, like like they're the, i think the teams that do it smart there there are there are a lot of guys who do both but there are also teams that will have their amateur scouts go scout the major leagues for like a week like maybe every couple of years just to remind people of what exactly what it looks they like. Look like yep yeah so you know what he was saying is like it's not like when you're thinking about taking you know a guy in the first round and you go sit at wake forest for a weekend and you're really honing in on everything Right. This is more like a sort of a check in on guys or like, oh, this guy opened my eyes. So we picked three hitters and, and, and three pitchers and kind of I let him lead the conversation. But I also like pointed out some guys who were off to strong starts in, in the in the fall league. And so some were sort of the well-known names, I guess. And, some you know, some were 
lesser known. You know, Chase DeLauder, who uh, we've all liked um, at different times. Uh, you know, first round pick of Cleveland. He's had a lot of injuries. And what he said is that he felt that he has sort of a Larry Walker look to him. Physical specimen, moves well in the outfield. Swing is direct to the ball. He uses all fields well, and he's going to grow into, and this is what he said. Uh, this was not paraphrasing. Prodigious power. Which well, sounds- I think that's a great comp, Jonathan. Like, like, like he's a f- big physical athlete. I'm excited to see him. I've never yeah. seen him play, right? So it's, and he's now got uh, two homers and 14 runs batted in in uh, in 11 games. With well, the stat that keeps jumping out at me with him everywhere, Jonathan, is he walks more and he strikes out. Yeah, like, it's crazy for a guy that just, size with that kind of power potential. Yeah, like he's athletic, but he controls the strike zone. Like, like you point out, I mean, I think the biggest question on him is health because he had the repeated foot injuries. Yeah, that he's that he's put behind him now. But yeah, he. I mean, you know, going back to, I mean, he was in your neck of the draft, but I, he was a guy who, before he got hurt, I kept saying, I think this guy's a sleeper potential number one overall pick because you just don't see athletes w- with that kind of control of the strike zone. So he, right. he's one of my favorite players in all of the minor leagues. I, I just, if he stays healthy next year, I think he could just explode. No, I know. I, I think you're right. And, you know, uh, he came from a, not a huge program at James Madison and then the injury that you know occurred that kept him from sort of going as high as so the guardians may have gotten lucky. Uh, Sterling Thompson, uh, another guy who, who was brought up and he's off to a very, very good start. Second round pick of the Rockies. Uh, actually not second round pick. I guess he was the a sandwich pick, maybe 31st overall. Yeah. And he is off to a, he's got a 1352 ops so far. He's at 484. He's got a 610. On base percent again, more walks than strikeouts. Hasn't hit a homer, but he's always been a, a hitter guy, and so you know, hit over power guy. And what the scout said is that it has been hitterish. One of my favorite jargony scout terms ever. Just like he was at Florida, and during the year when he was healthy, beautiful swing to all fields. He's going to grow into more serious damage, an aggressive base runner, and a really awesome approach. And that's what he's shown. And it's been interesting. I've also been looking that he has been playing second base in the outfield uh, and not third where he had sprinkled in. So, you know, that may be just personnel that they have uh, on the Salt River team. Well, you remember um, he played some second at Florida. He was like yes. 40% and it was a little bit rough, but he hadn't played there a lot. Like, but that, that that's super interesting. Cause I'm with you. I like him too a lot, Jonathan. I, I think he's always hit. The question is exactly how much power will there be? Right. But, he can hit and you know, he's going to Coors field. So that's nice. And if you can play him at second, Ooh, like yeah, even, I think second base there. might be the perfect. Cause then there's not as much pressure on the power. I think he's going to be, he may be a guy who hits 50 doubles. Yep. And, and hit for a high average and things like that. And at second base, that might be a better fit. And he likes to play on the dirt. So, and then the last guy, and I think we, we have talked about him some is Jacob Marcy of the Padres. Uh, part of that Peoria juggernaut. Um, and he is, uh, he leads the league in everything, uh, just about everything. Uh, OPS, he's hit 475 with a 569 on base and an 825 slugging, a couple homers, 11 RBIs, seven steals. And I love, you know, you and I both have repeatedly expressed our disdain for comps. 
but sometimes, yep. especially when you I hear like from a scout, one. and they I, picks, I like this one. Well, you know what? It was it, so he he said that he he gets Mike Talkman vibes of the Cubs. So this is not a like oh this is exactly who he is. It's not picking a comp that's so ridiculous in terms of seal. You know, like he, he's it's not more picking of a, like role production, right? Fair which comp. is to be fair to Jacob Marcy, right? That like we need to see what he's doing, but he has been so good. He's like got the sort of grinder mentality been solid on both sides of the ball good performer from a, a mid-major and like i like that mike like same I, part I, of the country too yeah yeah i like that mike talkman um who's a very solid big leaguer you know so there, there's nothing wrong with that so i kind of like that that was his first look yeah no and, and that was i talked to marcy i saw him hit a i, I saw him have i saw both his home runs because they came in the same game it was his first two home run in the game of life, but, but that's, that, that's just a great comp, but he can play all three outfield spots. He can run. It's not a ton of power, but he puts a bat on the ball. He draws walks. He can just do a lot of the little things and be very, I think a very good complimentary player. So th- th- those are three good ones. How about, well, what do you got for us pitching wise? What'd your scout have for us? Yeah. Well, so like, some, some neither the... you are or Mr. Comp, but I, I'm, I'm liking these comps. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, two of these guys are on our top 100. You know, so it doesn't come as a surprise. But one is Ricky Tiedman, who currently leads the uh, the fall league in strikeouts. He's got 18 strikeouts in 13 innings. He's given up four runs. It's a 277 ERA. It's a 182 batting average against. And this is a hitter's league. To and this is a hitter's league. You know, great body, physical prowess, obviously left-handed, almost like a Chris Sale kind of slot. Touches 97, sweeping slider, good changeup, deceptive. He's really stood out. And I did not see him, but I saw I saw the other the, the other top one hundred pitchers. Yeah, very yeah, good Jackson Job, Jackson Job, who you know again like top of the draft kind of guy. So there does come in a little, you know, uh, some expectations coming off a year where he missed so much of the year with injuries, and he has been as advertised according to the scout, smooth up to ninety seven, solid breaking ball, really good athlete, balanced on the mound, precise. I kind of like that as a describing term fills up the zone and attacks hitters and obviously he's he's very young and he has got a 225 era and striking out a batter per inning and 217 batting average against yeah i think i saw him up to 99 jonathan and the interesting right. thing was he, he was not landing the fastball and slider for strikes as much as he did so he just went cutter change up and those were very effective. Like, I'll be curious when you see Jack, when, when I saw Jackson Job and I saw four scoreless innings, I was looking at Jackson Job thinking, this guy's going to be in Detroit's rotation at some point next year. And, and then it's interesting because the third guy your scout mentioned to you, I saw him, and I think I f- saw him throw five scoreless innings. Four. Okay. Because he went start. six, his second start. Okay. And, uh, and I was like, ah, he's 26. I'm not going to write him up. I knew who he was from Auburn. I thought about it. It was like a zero zero game for a long time. I think that was one of my zero zero games, unless I'm, I'm confusing them, but, uh, but tell us about your third pitcher. Yeah. So that's Davis Daniel of the angels who made it up to the big leagues this year. And he is now, he's had two starts, 10 innings total. He was the first to go six innings. He's just given up one run on three hits, walked three and struck out 15. That's an 094 batting average against an a 0.6 whip to go along with his 0.9 earned run average. And I like how the scout said he's, he's been a breath of fresh air because I think, especially the guys who are in the fall league every year, the pitching, as you said, it's a hitting league. The pitching crop in general didn't jump off the page when you were looking at who was going. So when someone shows up and is 
a little revelatory. It's kind of like, whoa, okay. He throws a ton of strikes. He fills up the zone, moves it around, chance to be versatile on the staff, shows the artillery to be able to start. So it's not like the scout is like, oh, my God, this guy's going to front a big league rotation. But from the look that he had, I think there's a he could fill in a number of roles in the big leagues. And because of the repertoire, he has a chance to be, you know, like a good number four or five starter uh, and 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 very, very soon. Well, that's one of the fun parts about the Arizona Fall League, Jonathan, is is like we know the big names, but it's the guys who emerge and are like, oh, like Jacob Marcia or Davis Daniel. Those guys are those guys could be useful big leaguers. And I think a lot of teams use it that way too, both for their own players, like right. okay, like who do we give the last spot in the forty man roster to? But also, hey, you know, here's a guy who who plays better than we thought. I mean, we we talked about it last week, like guys like Edouard Julien. Nobody was really talking about him before the fall league last year, and then he was one of the best players in the fall league, and and now you know he he makes it to the playoffs next year. And I know. Well, so, go ahead. I was I was going to ask you a question. Okay. But since you were out there for for a week, who who is a a guy you know not from you know, not from the the list from the the, the scout, but who not necessarily is like who's going to be the Edouard Julien, but who is a guy who really intrigued you during the the week that you were out there. I saw James Triantis play really well for Mesa, and he's he's not on our top 100 prospects list. He gets some support here and there. He intrigues me because I, I really don't know which direction he's going to go. Right now, he's second in the league in ops. He, he's hitting 455. Um, he's not a speed guy, but he's got three triples and three steals in nine games, which is kind of funny. But it's interesting because I, I do think he has outstanding bat-to-ball skills. Like, like James Triantos is going to hit, but I don't know quite yet which direct like like how his career is going to play out from the standpoint of he does need to get stronger because it's more hit over power right now and, and that's going to be potentially an issue depending on where he winds up the diamond he was not good at third base in 2022 they moved him to second i saw him look pretty dreadful at second base in the game i saw him it was just a, the one game i saw him at second base right. i'm not saying okay that, you know then he can't play second <laughs> he made he, he made about three misplays that weren't necessarily errors it didn't look good and he ran the bases kind of erratically too and when you look at the cubs and you've got dansby swanson is short and nico horner at second and matt shaw's probably going to come up and i guess they're going to jam him in at third base or somehow he'll play third base and james triantos is not that great of an infielder They've tried him in center. He's played some center. But with Pete Crow Armstrong in Chicago, James Triantos, even if he can play center, isn't going to be the center fielder. Correct. He might wind up being a left fielder, which is going to put a lot more pressure on the bat. So anyway, he he intrigues me. I saw him hit. I think I saw him play two games and maybe have five hits. He can really hit, and he intrigues me, but I'm not sure exactly what to make of him. And, and, and Jonathan, mm. I mean, you probably have a long laundry list, but I'll, I'll ask you. You go out there, I think, this weekend, right? You go out yep. for, uh, for, for my first game will be on Monday. Yeah. And so, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know if you could boil us down to one name, but like, who are you most looking forward to seeing when you get there? Yeah. If I had to pick one, I think it would be Harry Ford, uh, the Mariners catching prospect. Yes, he was in the Futures game. I did that broadcast. I don't remember anything as you know when you're doing the broadcast you're so consumed with keeping up with the conversation it's not like you had to do a mock draft that night or anything either right 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 so there was a lot going on but uh i'm also looking forward to talking to him because i actually got to chat with him a little bit before the game before the futures game on the field 
and he is a student of the game. And unfortunately, not unfortunately, like unfortunately for me, he was not in Arizona in time for the media days because he was playing in the European Championships for Great Britain. Yep. Where he went off as he I was over there at the time, but not at the event. I was I was vacationing in Europe the same time he was playing in Europe. So. Yes, but you were not in the Czech Republic, I don't think. Not no not for that. Although I, I did I did I'll name drop. I did have dinner with Chris Burns, the Swiss coach, uh, heading into the tournament. So I, I did talk did. European Championships see, while there I was over there. So I, I mean I, I just want to see more of him. He's he's had a weird fall league so far. I, like, I, I he's home I, run I, or nothing. Right, three hits, three homers, and he's driven eleven runs, more walks than strikeouts. I also want to see him behind the plate. You know, I'm curious to sort of see how he's progressed there. Honestly, the numbers he puts up here, I don't. It doesn't matter that much. He has played a lot of baseball between the World Baseball Classic, the regular, you know, going through the minor league season, and then the European Championship. I think the Mariners are hoping that this time in Arizona sort of gets him ready. They think that he might be able to help them in Seattle at some point next year. And this will sort of help give him that little that little push. So that that's probably the one guy that I'm like I'm excited to see uh, you know I'm excited to see the most. All right. We could talk about Arizona Fall League forever and ever, but we're gonna take a break. And when we come back, we're gonna hear from Brewer's shortstop prospect Eric Brown, who had a chance to speak with Sam Dykstra. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jonathan May along with Jim Callis. We're going to head back out to Arizona. That's where Sam Dykstra had a chance to speak with Brewers shortstop prospect Eric Brown. Uh, He's off to a very good start in the Fall League, part of a Brewers farm system that has taken a very nice jump forward. So let's take a listen now to Sam's conversation with Eric Brown. Well, Eric, first, first things first, you know, what has the AFL experience been like for you so far? We're about two weeks in. Uh, it's been awesome. I mean, we have a great group of guys over here, and, uh, I mean, the competition is top-notch, and so every day is a grind, and every day is you have to kind of focus and bring your A-game to the park. So it's been, it's been fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and at what point did the Brewers come to you and say, hey, we want you to get a little extra work here? Um, for me, I kind of had, a, like, a hunch that I was going to come here, and – dealing with a lot of injuries this year and battling some things that I, I kind of had a stronger feeling as the year went on that I was going to come here and probably about halfway, three-fourths away through the season, my agent and then the Brewers came to me and asked me, hey, you want to play in the Fall League? And I was like, heck yeah, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, you, you mentioned those injuries, scapula fracture, you had a right thumb or right finger issue. Kind of take us through those for people who don't know what you went through this year. Yeah, so the first injury I had uh, was the I was first three games of the season. I ended up doing something to my hip. I don't know, I've never had hip problems, and my hips ended up hurting, and then probably three weeks later, I take 93 off the face, and I was out for about a week, and then after that, I had my thumb flare up, and that got pretty swollen out for two weeks, and then I went tumbling and uh, fractured my scap, and it was it was a grind trying to work through work through those, and understanding the, uh, the process and the longevity of this season, and understanding that making it back was my main priority. 
Yeah, I, I feel like most guys coming out of last year's draft, you're talking about a first full season. Did, did it feel like that for you, like getting the playing time you did, or like how do you kind of look back on this year? I look at I look back at it on as a full on learning experience and kind of just taking what I can from each situation and each each experience. Because I mean, learning from it, I, I learned patience. That was that was one of the biggest things. And before this, I wouldn't say I was as patient as I as I am now. And understanding that hey, everything happens for a reason, and everything is part of God's plan, and God's timing is perfect. Yeah, and with all those injuries, at what point did you feel like yourself again? Um, I would. I mean, it was it's really a grind. I mean, the injuries they were they were kind of freak accidents, and so it was. I kind of felt like myself all year, and and just having those injuries that were just minor setbacks and just trying to just take them and learn from them. Yeah, and um, how would you say, because you're kind of talking about growing mentally and that patience, but how would you grow, say you grew as a player this year? Like, what are you doing differently now from where you were in the spring? Oh, I mean, growing as a, as a physical aspect, uh, I mean, I realized that with, with, what I, with, with my swing that I'd have to make some adjustments here and there and uh, one of the bigger, bigger things that I've brought into the fall league was figuring out my legs and understanding that my legs are a big factor of my swing and everything starts from the ground up. And uh, a lot during the season, I was a lot of hands, a lot of just trying to put the ball in play and not actually driving the ball like I know that I can. And so like when a week before I came here, I, I ended up getting to go home and I worked on a few things and worked on starting from the ground up. And so I feel pretty good. What are you doing differently with your legs then when you're at the plate? I'm just thinking about sitting in my legs a little bit longer and just hold, holding my holding my posture in my back leg and holding the, having the weight push through the ground in my back heel. And that's kind of a, one thing I'm really focusing on. Yeah, because I was watching you in BP. You look like you're sitting back yeah. almost the way you're pulling the ball and hit a few out here in BP too. Is that is it more relaxed? Is it a more relaxed feeling up there? It's it's more of like kind of feeling my hamstring light up. Once I feel that light up, I know that it's it's kind of go time. Because once I feel that, it's it's really just for me. It's like being an athlete and go compete. Yeah, and just to jump back a few steps, you were the highest play, player ever taken out of Coastal. What did that mean to you to, to have that? I mean, I owe everything to Coastal. That that program changed my I turned my whole life around. From the coaches to the players that I played with. I mean, the all around experience at Coastal. I have nothing but praise for that school and Coach Gilmore. I mean, he's he's the best. I mean, for me, he's the best coach in college baseball all around hands down just because he, he genuinely cares about you as a player and he wants to he wants to see you succeed on the baseball field but he also wants you to succeed in life and so that's why I really love that chill I mean I'd look at him as my my father at, at Coastal he, he always took me in and and Schnall he uh <laughs> he always brought the energy and you got to love him just because he always brought the energy and he he always brought positive vibes and he wanted everybody to wanted everybody to succeed. And at what point did you realize you could be a first-round pick? That was always my goal. That was I always told my mom, probably from the age of eight, like, I told her I was going to get drafted out of high school, and it didn't happen. And I go to Coach Gilmore first, or on, my, on my visit, and I told him, I'm here to become a first-rounder. He said, let's do it. And from that point on, they were all help. And they just they pushed me every day to become the player that I am now. How much does your mom bring up that conversation? Oh, all the time. She, <laughs> she, she, uh, she's talking about it even on, on draft night, and she was like, "It's gonna happen." And we were we were hearing things between late first, early early second. And we were like, and my mom was like, "It's gonna happen," and you know, she had the crocodile too. It was gonna happen. So, <laughs> can't blame her for that in any way. Uh, I feel like your Cape League experience also helped get you to that round. You know, take take me through that because that kind of feels like 
a college version of the AFL in some ways. Oh, 100%. And, that, and that's what we like, – I was talking to some guys out here. It's literally like you're playing collegiate summer baseball. You just come together with a bunch of group of, uh, a group of guys, and we're all from different teams, all from different areas, different ethnicities, and we're just we're here for one reason. It's, it's just to play ball and have fun, and, and we're doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what was your main takeaway from the Cape League? Uh, the main takeaway, I would, I mean, kind of the everyday grind because I'm in, co- in college. It was, it was you play a game every three or four days, and and but on from the Cape, I pl- we played I think what thirty something games in yeah. thirty days, and so it was like, it, it was kind of my my first taste of pro ball without being in pro ball, and so it was a good learning experience just for understanding the day to day grind and what I needed to do to myself for that day yeah now coming back to to the brewers organization it feels like they've done a really good job at developing developing bats last few years cheerio caro black fralick mitchell all those guys you know what how would you kind of describe the brewers hitting philosophy like i said uh they their motto when i first got here was bu and they they really allow players just to come in here and they're like okay show us what you got and show us what what got you here and then they take that and they just amplify it times 10. And they just try to make you the best version of you by working with you and allowing you to excel in your own way. So when they when you first entered the system, what did they really hone in on and say, like, this is the thing we want to keep? I mean, they. I mean, mainly my legs. I mean, because for me, I have some powerful legs. And so they, they were really harping on, hey, if you use your legs, you're going to drive the ball like, like nobody. And so it's like that's one thing they really focus on. They focus on, like, using your legs and being able to hit for power. And if you hit for power, you hit the ball hard, good things happen. And I know you got promoted to Biloxi for about a week there at the end of the season. That was one of the most talented teams at Double A. What was it like being around that team? That was awesome. I mean, you're around the number one prospect in baseball, number two prospect in baseball, Jackson Churio, and having his energy, and then you have all the other guys plugging in as well. And it's like those guys were wanting to win, even though, like, like, it was double A, and we're, we're in the uh, chase for a playoff hunt, and you could tell that those guys wanted to win, and it was it was awesome to be around. What was your favorite Cheerio story from that brief time? Uh, I mean, not I don't have many stories about from it, but I mean, he was just always a funny guy, and he'd always be laughing, smiling, and just being a good being a good teammate. So. No, that's fair. And now you're, I mean, we're not there yet, obviously, but you're going into your second offseason. You experienced your first offseason last year. Is there going to be anything different about this one other than coming off the fall week? Right, and 100%, there's going to be a lot of things different. Uh, just going through this first full season, understanding that there's certain things that I want to work on as a, as a player from both standpoints. Defense, I want to continue to progress my first step. Offense, I want to be, I want to be quicker in my hips. I want to be more explosive. I want to be, be able to drive the ball every single time I can be explosive while doing it and just being consistent in the box and so when I get home I'm just gonna one of my main things is gonna be consistency and uh, my first step on defense yeah I was gonna ask about defense actually you've been flipping between second and short Um, do you have a preference or would you prefer to stick to one the whole time or what does it matter to you going back and forth for me I want to be in the I want to be in the in the lineup and so I can play second short third wherever they really need me but my favorite position is shortstop and I feel like I I can excel there and so uh, I guess I would want to stay a shortstop (laughs) yeah fair enough I think a lot of guys do all right we'll end on this one I got to ask about it you're double zero I know you guys have a zero on surprise but why double zero for you well I usually go with the number 20 for uh, one of my buddies back home and um but they didn't have that available, and so um, 
was, they gave me a list of numbers, and I was like, which one stands out and looks different? <laughs> and so I was like, you know, double zero. And so I just said, I'm going to go with that and rock it. So. There you go. Obviously, it works. It's yes, standing sir. out. on. All right. Well, thanks so much. Eric. Thank you. Appreciate it. Appreciate Best you. Luck the rest way. Thank you. All right. Good stuff. Thanks to Eric Brown and, of course, to Sam Dykstra for having that conversation. Looking forward to seeing Brown when I get out to Arizona as well. We're going to take another break. And when we return, we'll talk about how the Rangers found Evan Carter, highlight some organizational hitters and pitchers of the year, and answer a question for the mailbag. That's all coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team welcome back to the mlb pipeline podcast jonathan mayo along with jim callis and jim you i love these origin stories man like i did you know one on royce lewis last week i just love digging in and, and talking to the people who are responsible for bringing players that uh are, are making noise in the big leagues and in this case in the postseason and you had a, a chance to really dig into the evan carter story I love the fact that you led with the fact that this is one of the few times in the history of you covering the draft, a guy taken that early that you didn't know who he was. Now it was 2020. It was a weird time, but take us through just digging into that story, how the Rangers found Evan Carter. And like, I, I always love how the the relationships that team scouts have with players, with family members, with coaches, whatever it may be, can play a part. It's not just, oh, see a player, like a player, draft the player. Yeah, as you know, Jonathan, and I'm, I'm going to start, I'm going to plug your book for you, even though you, like, you weren't expecting this. <laughs> you Smart, Wrong, and Lucky, The Origin Stories of Baseball's Unexpected Stars by Jonathan Mayo. If you need Appreciate a Hanukkah you. Christmas gift, it's Very getting nice. time that time of year. I love that book. And you and you wrote, was it eight origin stories? Eight? Yes. Okay, yeah. eight origin stories. Um, and so we both love doing these stories. They're fun. And as you titled your book, Smart, Wrong, and Lucky, every scout you talk to will admit, I mean, most scouts are, are, are humble when they talk about their greatest successes, but they will admit, look, there's an element of luck a lot of times in scouting too. Like sometimes it's seeing the guy on the right day. And you, you go back with Evan Carter and I mean, this story was so much fun. I wrote, I wrote 2000 words. That I probably could have written 5,000. Mm -hmm. and, and so anyway, next book. I, yeah, there you go. You, you you can you can use this as a foundation for smart, wrong, and lucky version two, volume yep. two. But anyway, this story started before Evan Carter was born. His father, Jason Carter, grew up in Elizabethton, Tennessee, which is where Evan grew up as well. And he played youth ball, youth baseball with Danny Clark. 
went to high school and graduated from Elizabethton High with Danny Clark. They both went to East Tennessee State to play sports. Jason Carter was a speedy defensive back. Danny Clark played baseball at East Tennessee State and made a career of it. And so Danny Clark coached in high school. He coached in college. And then he joined the Rangers as a minor league pitching coach in 2006, became their pitching coordinator three years later. And in the last year, he's gone into more of a staff development role. But he's still with the Rangers. And he continues to live in Elizabethton, as does Jason Carter. Both Jason Carter and his wife are educators. Jason Carter is an assistant principal and athletic director at a junior high in town. And they stayed in touch. It wasn't like Danny Clark and, and Jason Carter were best friends, but they were friends. They've known each other forever. And as Evan was growing up, you know, they'd run into each other. Or Jason would text him every once in a while and say, hey, you know, Evan had a chance to be pretty good. And he was pretty interesting. And we got to high school. He texted Danny Clark again and said, look, I think Jason might really be something. And, you know, so, so because he coached at the amateur level, high school, college, Danny Clark has a million contacts and he, and he's lived in Elizabethton. And so he gets tips all the time. I mean, you people tell him, Hey, I got a player for you. And he estimates that maybe 30% of those guys wind up at least worth some attention. But the funny thing was because of his job with the Rangers, he never saw Evan Carter play in high school ever four years, never saw him play, but you know, he, he knew Jason Carter really well. And, and the funny thing was the way he said, he asked Jason, is he as fast as you? Because I guess Jason Carter could really run. He was a defensive back at East Tennessee State. And Jason said, he's faster than me. And because of that, and because he knew Jason Carter and trusted him, Danny Clark, without seeing him, told Derek Tucker, who was the Rangers area scout at the time, hey, this guy's probably worth going to see at some point. And, and then he gave me a follow-up call that summer after his freshman year. And, and as we both know, and I think probably a lot of listeners know, or maybe they don't know, I mean, you aren't necessarily scouting a guy going into his high school sophomore year that heavily. You know, you're, you're, you're focusing on the guys for next year's draft. But anyway, Derek Tucker saw him that summer and liked him and said, okay, like this guy, I'm going to need to watch as he gets closer. And as he saw him the following summer, he really liked him. So going into his senior year, both Derek Tucker and his cross-checker, Ryan Coe, really, really liked him. They're like, okay, it's good body. I mean, all the stuff we're seeing now projectable athlete, body type. He could do a lot of things. His dad was a big guy in athletic. He was, if, if you care about age at the draft, he was going to be 17th the draft. He didn't turn 18 until late August. There's a lot of reason to like him. And it was, what was interesting, even though <laughs> I didn't know about him and I knew about 12, probably about a dozen different guys in Tennessee that year on the high school side in the pandemic year, the Rangers were all over because, because again, because Danny Clark knew about him early and he told Derek Tucker and Derek Tucker got on him early and Ryan Coe, the Rangers fell in love with him. Um, you know, he, this was a guy, it was interesting, Jonathan. He didn't do, he did some showcases, but not a lot of them because his, like I said, his parents are educators. He committed to Duke when he was a sophomore. He was excited about attending Duke. He wanted to become an endodontist, which is a specialized form of dentistry. Don't ask me more than that because I don't know. He would shadow dentists. He took some college classes during the summer. It wasn't just, oh, I'm going to the next showcase. Like they had a very balanced life and he figured he was going to Duke. He went to an actual, uh, Jason Ratliff, who is not with us today, found the PDP roster, the Prospect Development Pipeline roster from a regional event in June 2018 where Evan Carter attended. And I found our story that somebody wrote about six standouts, none of whom was Evan Carter. <laughs> he didn't go to the PG National. He didn't make the, the Reds had the East Coast Pro team in that region. He didn't make the team. Um, he did go to Jupiter, the World Wood Bat Association, uh, but he was on a team with Enrique Bradfield and Kobe Mayo. And got overshadowed. So, so 
people weren't really on him that much. And it wasn't like you were going to stumble across him. Hey, I'm at area codes. Who's this guy? And so, but, but the Rangers were on him early. So they invited him to work out pre pandemic in January, 2020, all their upper level guys were there. Kip Fag, their scouting director, uh, Jake Krug and Scott Littlefield, their national cross checkers. There were a bunch of players there, top prospects. Jordan Walker was there who was committed to Duke, like Evan Carter. A lot of guys were there and in front of all the Rangers, upper level scouting decision makers, they thought that, that Carter was the best player. Um, and that kind of upped it even more. And, you know, as you mentioned with the pandemic, it's hard to get looks at guys because the season ended abruptly. Well, he played two scrimmages and three games. Evan Carter did before his season shut down. And, but again, because the Rangers had gotten on him early and then had him at this workout and all their guys had seen him. I think Derek Tucker told me he was at f- at least four of the five games. Their, their regional cross checkers that won the games. Each of their national cross checkers came in and saw him. Kip Fag saw two games. It's a little murky because I'm not sure if they were supposed to or not supposed to. There was an informal workout hastily arranged when things shut down. And so the Rangers got all their top guys got in game looks at him that spring. And nobody really had a chance to because it shut down. And, it, you know, it, like I said, I mean, they all loved him. It was pretty unanimous. They were giving him 55s and 60s on the 2080 scouting scale for tools across the board. They loved his makeup. Um, really, really cool story how it all turned out, even if on draft day, nobody really knew who he was. And, you know, the only person who had seen him on our crew at MLB Network <laughs> was Dan O'Dowd because he, he needed son, to go to college. Yeah, well, yeah, who said that? Because he had seen him because Dan's son was in the same high school class and they'd been to some events. And and Dan, I think it was Dallas Morning News, followed up with Dan when Evan Carter got to the big leagues this year. And Dan said, look, I haven't met Evan Carter, but if I did, I apologize to him. I, I shouldn't have said that. And I mean, you know, I mean, Dan's a stand-up guy. We both love working with him. But yeah, I mean, that was literally the only thing that was said on the uh, on the broadcast because like I went back and watched the clip. So Greg Amsinger, who's fascinated by the drafts, hosting the draft. He's like, hey, he's not on BA's 500. He's not on MLB's top 200. And so Carlos uh, Colazzo from Baseball America had texted some scouts or somebody. And, and they had it. And, and, and he was, you know, like I was doing the same thing, like just going to vomit up some inf- any information I could get. And uh, Carlos called him a fringy runner, which was a little bit light based on their reports. And I think I reached out to the Rangers. And so I was talking about his plate discipline and and something, but we didn't know. And then um, Dan came on. It, and like I said, you know, Evan Carter's, you know, starred in the playoffs. He starred throughout the minor leagues, like almost immediately when he began playing in the big leagues. Uh, I mean, in the minors, you know, area scouts were telling me how good he was. Right. Um, and like, I, I could talk about Evan Carter all day and I'll stop because I could, <laughs> I could talk about him all day. His makeup is even more impressive than his tools. As you guys know, I loved interviewing him in spring training. We had that interview on the podcast and it was funny. Evan, the, 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 the part about the, the draft night, nobody knew who he was. He's he, John, if you ever talked to him, Jonathan, I don't know if you have, he's very, I have not confident, like, like just comfortable in his own skin. He like, mm-hmm. he's just very comfortable and he's very humble. That. He's very humble. And so I remember when I asked him about like, was a strange, how strange was that? Like you get picked in the second round and everybody's like, we don't know who this guy is and he should go to college. And, uh, and he said, he said, you know, it's supposed to be the greatest day of your life. And people are saying that. And then people are, are getting on you on Twitter. And then <laughs> I always love when he was doing that, he, he abruptly stopped. He's like, wait a minute. I got married in December. That was the happiest day. Of my, that, that was the biggest day of my <laughs> life. Right, right, so right. he corrected myself. So I love that. But then 
he told me, he looked at me and he's like, look, I don't blame you. Like you only, you don't know what you don't know. Like he was like, 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 like telling me, don't worry about not knowing who I was. But like, and I know from talking to the Rangers, um, like Derek Tucker said, Evan's like, well, I just gonna have to go out and prove you guys made a good pick. Like Evan wasn't a fan. Like he was kind of like, I think surprised by the reaction, but not upset by it. And like, I know, you know, Kip Fag, the Rangers scouting director, who's been there, I think since two, he's been with them for a long for a while. Time. And he's been their scouting director for at least a decade. And uh, my, my quote got slightly censored, but, but Kip's, <laughs> Kip, Kip, Kip was talking about how it was actually a very easy pick for them because all their, like, it wasn't like there was any dissension. They all loved him. The only question was, where do we have to take him? And they kind of got a sense that the Pirates and Royals were on him and might take him in the third round. Those were the only other two teams. They took him in the second round, but they loved the tools. They loved the man. They, they loved everything about him and everybody yeah. did. So like there was no, no real discussion, but he said his quote was, I was a tad surprised by the reaction of the media. Cause I'm not going to take some dude in the second round who I pulled out of my ass. And uh, I just, I was like, that was a classic Kip fag quote um, at the end too. So yes. Uh, as you could tell, and I, I will I will pipe down now because I probably have talked for 15 minutes about Evan Carter. <laughs> I, I love these stories. And again, if you love these stories, go by smart, wrong, and love. Oh, boy. You, you saved face there because I was about to say, like, I was laughing because you're like, I'm going to stop. And then you talked for another two minutes about Evan Carter, which I totally get. I, I could talk about he He, Jonathan, and like, it's just cool with how well he's playing in the playoffs and helping them win in it's a variety so much of different fun. ways. That like I I mean I think I told you guys after I interviewed him on the podcast I'm sure if we ran back the recording I said he's probably my favorite prospect in baseball like I I I love him as a prospect yeah and it's just very cool also knowing what kind like my brief window into what kind of person he is to see him have this kind of success so I'm no it's happy. always nice because we always talk you know I often people ask me like well who are your favorite prospects and I, like I find that I'm always defaulting to the people who. Are, are the best talkers who I enjoyed the conversation with the most. And then you hope that they're going to be good big leaguers because you want the world to sort of enjoy that too. And it doesn't always match up. And in this case it did. And, you know, I think, you know, before we kind of the move, move on, there are going to be more stories from that 2020 draft like this. You know, one of the things that adds to the intrigue was how bizarre that year was. And I think you, you sort of pointed that out in, in the story that, had that been a regular year and he had gone out and had a senior season that people think he probably would have, people would have known who Evan Carter was. You would have at least would have known who Evan Carter was. And maybe he would have even played his way into the first round. Uh, the Rangers so, are convinced of that. They're, they're convinced yeah. that like in a normal year, word would have gotten out and they would have had it. They're like, Well, look, they, I mean, yeah. look at how he's, how he performed in, in the, you know, in the minor league. Like there are a lot well, we were just raving about Chase pointing to that. Yeah. We were raving about Chase Delauder, like athleticism, tools, and plate discipline. I don't think anybody has better plate discipline than Evan Carter. Right. Right. All right. We'll, we'll do an entire Evan Carter podcast at another time to make you happy. And what we'll do is we'll intro and then you can talk for like an hour and then we'll say goodbye. Yeah, sometime when you and Jason are on vacation, that'll just be It'll my just podcast. It'll just be you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> solo. And well, we'll run his be... interview from spring training, and I'll it's like only going to be you talking about Evan Carter. Um, we'll, we'll right. take his interview from spring training, and I'll annotate each answer with thoughts. And yeah, and I'll do a dramatic reading of my Evan Carter story, and I will plug your book again. So, <laughs> no, I even though you didn't that. ask me to, John, I, I just, so everybody knows Jonathan did not know I was going to plug his book again. No, it stop. Is no, a I'm actually. Book. Fabulous I'm book. embarrassed by this now, so please let's move on. Now, okay. the one thing that Evan Carter was not 
was the Rangers organizational hitter of the year. How's that for a segue? Well, that's true because um, Abimela Cortez had a huge year, and you will get to see Abimela Cortez in the in the fall league when you get there, John. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for all of it. But we did recently release our lists of all the organizational hitters and pitchers of the year. Highlighted, of course, you know, we've got Jackson Holiday, the Orioles, who was our overall hitting prospect of the year, and uh, Yankees right-hander Drew Thorpe, who was our overall pitcher of the year. But this was, you know, boiling it down to each organization. So let's, you know, let's sort of start. We, we've we both picked out sort of one hitter and pitcher for, for each of us, and we're going to, you know, generally pick from teams that we do the top 30s for because we know those players better, but... So why, you know, let's just do it this way, Jim, you, you go through your hitter and pitcher and then I'll go through my hitter and pitcher and then we'll move on to the mailbag. Okay. Well, my, my hitter and I tried to pick guys maybe off the beaten path a little bit. Like, yeah, don't, no, we haven't talked about much. I do the Yankees. You don't need me to tell you about Drew Thorpe's year again. Cause we've, we've done a Correct. lot of Drew Thorpe on podcasts recently, but I, I did go Yankees hitter and I went with Ben Rice. Who's an interesting, he was kind of a victim of the pandemic shortened draft baseball, hockey star. He only played 30 years in three games at Dartmouth because not, not only did the pandemic shut. 30 games, not 30 years. 30 years, yes. 30 years. <laughs> yes, he, Felt like he, it during COVID. He, but, yeah. he, he got eight eight doctorates while at Dartmouth. <laughs> he was there for 30 years as a graduate student. I meant 30 games in three years at yes. Dartmouth because if I remember correctly, and John, uh, Jonathan, I don't know why I'm calling you John, you pay, like, you'll remember this because you're a Penn graduate, Ivy League. Not only did the pandemic shorten the 2020 season, I believe the Ivy League didn't play baseball in 2021. No, that's why Josh Hood, who's now in pro ball, transferred out. To NC State. That's right. And so State, anyway, yeah. so so anyway, Rice was intriguing, but like couldn't really see him. But he played in the Cape Cod League, and, and that persuaded the Yankees to take him in the 12th round of the 2021 draft. Didn't do a whole lot last year in 2022. He was okay, but like numbers didn't pop. He's a little bit older. Well, this year, <laughs> he hit 324, 434. 615 had had a monster year among all players with 300 plate appearances in the minors. He didn't officially qualify for overall leadership. He's a little bit short because he had a back injury. He had the the highest WRC plus at 183, hit 20 homers in 73 games. And there's something there. You know, like I was saying with James Trances, I'm not sure exactly what is there because I do think it's probably you know it's funny. He went on a tear after after we wrote him up and added him to the midseason list, Jonathan. I went 45 power at the time. I could probably go. I, I probably should go fifty power. He slugged six forty eight in double A after not. That was pretty good. That. No, well, yeah, <laughs> that works after not you know, like showing that kind of power. So it's probably fifty, but it's still it might be hit over power. The, the catching still a work in progress because the arm is well below average. So is he a catcher? Is he a first baseman? Obviously, that's a big difference. But he's he you know I have him at number twenty three on our midseason Yankees list, and I bet that I wind up moving him up several spots on our our list when we do the Yankees list again in the in the offseason. So he's he's something I mean, you know, like I said, he falls in that category of what exactly is he? And in my picture is the same thing. Will Dion of the Guardians ranked second in the minors in ERA, eighth in whip. He had a two three nine ERA, 129 to 35 strikeout to walk ratio. And and Jonathan, <laughs> this is the Guardians. This will surprise you that he was a a college finesse pitcher, a strike thrower. Now, and they're so good at this. Now, now I will say the, the the thing that has not happened for him, he has not made a jump like Tanner Bybee or Shane Bieber or any number of guys. His stuff has not jumped. He's still kind of eighty eight to ninety one. 
He's got, you know, his best secondary pitch is a 78 to 81 mile changeup. His breaking balls, they're fringy. They're okay. But it's a deceptive delivery, and he puts the he hides the ball well. He, he kind of hides it behind his body, and then he comes out of a high arm slot. He'll pause in his delivery to throw hitter's timing off, and he just mixes pitches and locations well. So it's not huge stuff. But for three years at McNeese State, this guy was one of the best strike throwers in college baseball. His stuff has played. It's worked all the way up through double A. And the Indians may have done this again with another. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. he's a ninth rounder. Uh, at 2021, like another, you know, same draft, right? Where they got Tanner Bybee, I think. Yes. Same draft where they got Tanner Bybee right. and Gavin Williams. Uh, and they may have yet another star. Like the, the Guardians just have one star after another. So anyway, both these guys, I, I would file in the really curious to see what they do next year. Because if they continue to build on what they did this year, they're going to be in the big leagues pretty soon. And how about you, Jonathan? I mean, I think your guys kind of fall in the same category, right? They do. So my the hitter that I'm, I'm picking out is, is Ryan Ritter uh, of the Rockies. He was in your neck of the draft uh, out of the University of Kentucky. The Rockies took him in the fourth round of 2022. Now, from a purely statistical standpoint, you know, his, his career at Kentucky was kind of okay, uh, but he uh, he hit well on the Cape, so that certainly helped. and. The year he had this year, I mean, he finished, he had a a 2020 year. He had 24 homers and 20 steals. Uh, So a a very intriguing first full season, uh, a 902 OPS. He had his 140 WRC plus was the best among all Rockies minor leaguers, which is why he was, you know, was the choice he can, he can defend up the middle. I think the big question is going to be the contact, you know, 152 strikeouts, uh, he does draw some walks, so that helps. A lot of the numbers he put up were in single A Fresno. Uh, he was okay in Spokane, and then he only spent, you know, a little over a week in Hartford. So I, I'm not even going to count that. But I think I need to see him do it at the upper levels. But I mean, th- this was a surprising first full season, you know, when you know exactly what he was going to bring to, to the program, the, the fact that he got to his power makes him a little bit more intriguing if he can make adjustments and show that he can produce at the upper levels. He goes from a guy who's like, well, maybe he's a little bit of a power first utility guy to maybe this guy can play every day somewhere. Um, so I'm waiting to see what he does, assuming he goes to Hartford to start next year. You know, and that's not the easiest place to hit, but to see how how his approach, you know, what kind of adjustments he makes, uh, I think it's going to be very interesting to see what he does to follow up uh, in year two. And on the pitching side, you know, I had a couple of relievers as my pitchers of the year, which doesn't often happen. And one of them is uh, Perlander Barroa from the Mariners, and. They got him from the the Giants, uh, as we were talking about, in a, in a kind of a throwaway trade, really. And he always had a you know a very very good arm. Command was the issue, and the Mariners moved him to the bullpen full time this year, uh, and he made his big league debut, and did what you know, you kind of thought all along it was one of these like, well, he's got the stuff to potentially start, but the command was, was an issue, but you sort of knew like if you shortened him up, the stuff was going to tick up and he had a two, eight, nine ERA. He had a one ninety one batting average against, and he struck out almost 14 per nine. Now the command still isn't great. 
Um, but it doesn't need to be. He even picked up uh, half a dozen saves. If you told me that as early as next year, Barrow was pitching regularly in high leverage situations in the in the Mariners' big league bullpen, I 100% would believe that. Yeah, I think if he makes as much progress with his control as he did this year, I mean, it's still yep. not great, but it got It, it better. doesn't have to be. And right. if he can improve it like another half notch, I, I agree with you 100%. Like, and, and I'm with you. Like, I just did not – it's a very live arm, and I was surprised they traded him uh, for Donovan Walton, who's, you know, a, a high achiever, you know, gritty utility type. I, I that, that one kind of surprised me. Yeah. So I'm All Jonathan. Right. I'm going to steal the mailbag. I'm going to make you answer the question first. Oh, I'm, going, I'm going to read off the do the dramatic reading of our mailbag question. Are you ready? Yeah, we need some sort of like audio, you know. And now the mailbag. There you go. Okay, there you go. That's very nice. We'll 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 clip that and use that in yeah, future something weeks like as well. That. We need some work. We'll workshop it. Continue. Okay. So so Jacob Larson at Jake Larson on X asks, Damn. does the loss of Brad Seolik, who was running the the scouting operations for the Orioles and just took a job overseeing the whole scouting department with the Nationals, so he won't have to move very far. Um, <laughs> does the loss of Brad Seolik have any serious impact or implications on the Orioles' future? Do you feel that they're going to have problems like the Cubs did by having too many hitting prospects and not enough starting pitching prospects? So what do you think, Jonathan? You have a two-part question there. A two-part question from Jake. Um I think there's always an adjustment to be made when, you know, someone of that level, you know, in the scouting department leaves. However, I think that the Orioles are constructed. And Jim, you know, disagree if you if you if you feel uh, it necessary. Uh, I think that they have a sort of systematic approach to all things, uh, including the draft. And I think Brad did a very nice job working within that system along with, you know, Mike Elias, the general manager and others uh, to help build what the Orioles have right now. Yeah. I was, I, 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 I was going to yeah. agree with you, Jonathan, because I was going to say, yeah. like, I think any scout would tell you that like the draft is bigger than one man. It's not like, Brad was just sitting there. And I think Brad would tell you, we've had Brad on the podcast before. It's not like mm-hmm. Brad's just looking at all the reports and making all the decisions by himself. I think they have a very good brain trust there. And I also think, Jonathan, you do our oil system. You know this. They do a great job developing players too. It, it, it's not just drafting players, just half the story. You, then you have to develop them and polish uh, up and get ready for the big leagues. I don't think they, I, th- I think the only reason we may see their draft take a downturn, and I do think drafts are kind of, random from year to year, even with the best teams is they aren't going to be picking first, second, fifth, first every year now that they have a good team. So they aren't going to be picking at the top of the, like, look, I mean, and I think Brad would tell you, when you have number one pick and you have an Adley Rutschman or Jackson holiday there, that's a pretty good situation to be in. But, but right. outside of not having access to those kind of picks anymore, I don't think, well, while you don't want to lose him. I don't think it's going to be that, that in and of itself will not. Yeah. Be a huge yeah. I mean, to, to your, to your point, they picked 17th this year and they took Enrique Bradfield jr. Who, who might be a very good big leaguer, but it's not Adley Rushman. Right. So uh, we'll sort of see how they adjust to picking later in the draft. And there have been, you know, other teams that have done that and, and adjusted and, and done well finding picks later in the first round and later in each round. Now, the second part of the question, you know, it is interesting because Orioles, 
currently have one pitcher in the top 10, and that's Chase McDermott. You know, the at number nine. 10. Yeah, at <laughs> number 10. Kate Povich is 11. These are not high ceiling kind of guys. And, you know, I will remind you, yeah, I'm still a big believer in Grayson Rodriguez. He's very, very, very young. Uh, and in another situation, he might still be a prospect. So I, I think that is going to sort of help. It, it is a, a, an issue. I mean, eventually you, you, they do need to draft or sign and find better pitching. That said, I think they're very close to being in a position, which is what you want to get to when you go through this rebuilding process and start to build a winner. They are pooling a lot of talent at the upper levels, and they're just about at the time when they're going to have to start making some decisions about which of these hitters are going to be part of their future in Baltimore and which of these hitters they're going to use to maybe trade to bring in big leaguers and or you know other young talent. Uh, you know, we talk about the Rays all the time, how they will trade to bring in a big leaguer and they manage to find a, a really good under-the-radar minor leaguer, and maybe that's something the Orioles will try to do as well when you're relying on your pro scouting. So I think that there, there is a gap in terms of the pitching in the system. There, there's no doubt. I think that if they make smart decisions, they can use some of the depth that they have, uh, either in the outfield, you know, the outfield or infield in particular, to make some trades. They can fill that void either by bringing in big leaguers or, you know, or talented young pitchers that they have not signed and developed on their own. I have a, I have another question for you, Jonathan. And I agree no, with a lot of what you no said. No more I questions. Mean, I, I do think, well, you do the All Orioles right. list. Who's, who's the highest ranked pitcher on your Orioles list who the Orioles actually drafted? Because I like Chase McDermott, Kate Povich and Seth Johnson. They're all kind of interesting. Those were all trade acquisitions. Do you know without looking who the highest ranked players sign a pitcher signed by the Orioles is on their Orioles top 30 without looking. My guess would be Carter Baumler, but it's Justin Armbruster. It is Justin Armbruster. Yeah. I'm looking at the list now. Carter Baumler is at 22, but, but what you yep. were saying is accurate. And like, I like, like, yes, I, I do think there is a method to the Orioles madness. And I do think they have focused on hitters because I do think they're less volatile but at the same time, I mean, you and I both talked about this a bunch, Jonathan, leading up to the draft. They were picking 17 this year. I think in a perfect world, if the right pitcher had been there, the Orioles would have taken him. And really, the only option to take at that point was Hurston Waldrop. Like, it was not a deep pitching draft, and there were not right. obvious guys there. I, I don't think they're going to necessarily shy away from pitchers going forward. But it's just a way it's played out. And like you said, they, they have a huge stockpile of hitters. They have many more young – they have – Veteran hitters, they have young big league hitters, and they have a ton of prospects, way more than it can fill nine spots in a lineup. So, you know, I, I think you're going to see some trades at, at some point, and I do think you will see them start to draft pitchers. So I don't – to answer Jake's question, I don't think they're going to necessarily have problems like this, but I think it's about – like now that they're, they won 100 games and they went to the playoffs and want to go further – they're going to have to address it. And I think they know that too. Yep. Awesome. All right. Great stuff. We're going to wrap things up for this week's MLB Pipeline podcast. Thank you to Jake Larson for that question. And of course, Sam Dykstra and Eric Brown for joining us from the Fall League. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening. See you next week.